Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome to the show. Oh, come on. Welcome to the show. <laughs> it's a Monday after a long holiday weekend. Uh, and uh, there's an awful lot to talk about, including my flagging mic. So, where to begin? I'll begin with something personal because it's easy. I left my house uh, unhappily this morning because there is a terrified sparrow in my living room. And uh, my efforts to get it back outside uh, were futile. And... uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping I'll. It'll still be. I, I don't know what the heck. It came in through the uh, the door that my cats made in my screen in the in the back. Um, through persistent effort, my littlest cat Addie, now gone, um, scratched a little hole, just a tiny little hole that she could go through, and. Um, my current uh, dog uh, enlarged it, and I thought it's wonderful. I mean, he can go in and out, and here's the negative. This little sparrow, while I was eating breakfast, hopped in, and, oh, gosh. Anyway, poor little thing. Anyway. Uh, kudos to the U.S. women's soccer team. They're astonishing. I mean, if that was a male team, our braggadocio about it would be uh, off the charts. And uh, the fact that these women are paid uh, pittance of what the men's team, who haven't won a damn thing since 1930, (laughs) tells all you all you have to know about sexism. Uh, that was covered by Fox News. Uh, Fox was doing a uh, live report from some bar or something in Paris where the where the uh, World Cup was held and um, Fox reporter standing there, and all all you hear in the background is is people saying "fuck Trump, fuck Trump, fuck Trump." Yes, welcome to the rest of the world, Fox. Okay, uh, geez, there's so much going on. We do have to uh, take a moment uh, uh, to talk about the. Fourth of July, and uh, the president's performance. I, uh, you know, the the phrase "you can't make it up" uh, is 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 worn out. <laughs> it's tattered. Should be shelved, but I, I I don't know what to replace it with.
the Continental Army suffered a bitter winter at Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. <laughs> you know Cornwallis of Yorktown, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. And then our commander-in-chief said, Our army manned the air. It ran the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. Now, I mean, the wonderful thing is all the, the memes that have been created of, uh, you know, uh, George Washington and his, uh, his men uh, in the great battle of baggage claim um, and just wondrous funny stuff. But, you know, guys, it ain't funny. Uh, Trump, of course, has an excuse. His teleprompter went out. Remember when he used to say Barack Obama couldn't talk without a teleprompter? Yeah, right. Um, I've used teleprompters, and my prompter's gone out, and I didn't start speaking gibberish. I mean, what came out of his mouth was airports. He's talking about the Revolutionary War. We won't even get into how Fort McHenry comes into it all of a sudden, which is another war, the War of 1812. I, uh, you know, um, I don't even know if we can do another 18 months of this, let alone four more years. And I worry about the four more years. I do. Because I do think uh, the way our media operates, operate, the way um, Democrats have a way of uh, snatching victory, no, defeat from the jaws of victory. I'm getting everything inside out today. Whatever. Uh, guys, uh, I am worried, and I will remain worried until um, in until it's over. And even then, I'll be worried. So, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm sorry. Here's the other thing. So we thought the census question thing was handled. Uh, no, of course not, because nothing, uh, nothing is irreversible in, in this White House it, because everything depends on the whim of the moment, the tweet of the hour. Uh, the fact that this Justice Department under William Barr is so obviously on board in the most sinister kind of way. Um, they are still trying to get that question. And even as the census forms are being printed, as I speak, um, and here's why. 
at this point, I think they suspect that they're never going to get that question, even in an addendum on. But by keeping it alive, the uncertainty of it, the possibility of it, it is as if it were there. Because undocumented people will be loath to take part because they have come to fear this thing, the census. And I don't blame them. And that's all. So they understand, this administration does understand the power of perception. And uh, the perception, I would imagine, in the um, undocumented community is that uh, they are in the crosshairs of all the powers that be of this administration. And if there's a way for them to be gotten, they will be gotten. And the census clearly now is one of the ways that they're going to try. I would not, if I were undocumented, participate in the census because they've succeeded in making in making it uncertain at the very least uncertain that um, any information in there will not be used incorrectly or to help identify people that then ICE can go and uh, grab and deport. Speaking of that, I, the Washington Post had a frightening article today about how uh, without any approval from Congress, um, the FBI and ICE have been combing through states' driver's license photos using facial recognition software. And this has never been authorized. One of the states in this article, there's only, I think, two states that just are clearly in cahoots with ICE and the FBI, and lo and behold, One is Texas, the other is Pennsylvania. So the picture that you took for your driver's license photo is is now, you know, being used or can be used and accessed by law enforcement agencies without a warrant, without any okay sign off from you that when you had that picture taken it could be used in that manner Um, the fact that there is no consent by you by me by anybody else in this state to allow law enforcement 
to have access to our data and pictures that we thought were given to the state of Pennsylvania is by law a big thing. Congress has not authorized the development of a national facial recognition uh, system and in fact a growing number of members of Congress believe it or not bipartisan Democrats and Republicans are very leery of this technology sometimes for different reasons but they see it as a dangerous uh, pervasive and potentially error prone uh, surveillance tool. We know that China is the world leader in, in uh, this and that China uses facial recognition software to literally control their population through, well, surveillance, through terror, that they're being watched all the time. Well, we, we're close. We're close, as we see. There's cameras everywhere. And, um, and now this software that, av as we know, study after study has shown, is pretty good at identifying white men and is not so good at identifying people of color and women. So... This is uh, potentially, I mean, I, I just think here's how technology runs away with us. Before we catch up, the, you know, the, the cows are out of the barn. Is that right? The horses are out of the stable. It's a done deal. Um, the law can't catch up. Our governmental entities can't catch up. It just takes off. One of the guys who went berserk is that creep from uh, Ohio, uh, Representative Jim Jordan, the assistant wrestling coach of Ohio State when all of those wrestlers were being abused. Um, the, you know, just right-wing Trump lover, Representative Jim Jordan, he is incensed, according to the article. Um, so that shows you the possibility of uh, building a pretty interesting uh, bipartisan consensus on pushing back at this. Uh, Jordan said, they've just given access to the FBI. Nobody signed off on that when they renewed their driver's license. They didn't sign any waiver saying, oh, sure, it's okay to turn my information, my photo over to the FBI. No elected officials voted for that. That's Jim Jordan. Um, but the reality, again, is technology has already run away with it. Uh, law enforcement now is uh, all about uh, technology. Uh, they, police departments regularly use facial recognition uh, now to track down low-level crimes, cashing a bad check, because there are cameras everywhere. 
and uh, and the FBI and ICE get at our pictures, not through any formal request, just an email. I mean, they're saying that all they do is ICE will uh, email some guy in Pittsburgh at the DMV and says, uh, hey, uh, we're looking for this guy. Could you run a... That's how it's been working. And, you know, happy uh, board DMV employees saying, geez, cool, I'm working for the FBI. I'm working for ICE. And see, there... There's a ton of states that allow undocumented people to get driver's licenses. So can you imagine the terror now, again, of somebody who has been told by, let's say, the state of New York or California, do not worry, we're not, but we understand that it is better for all of us if you are able uh, to... Uh, drive um, and now all of those poor undocumented people who trusted the states and had their pictures taken are now exceedingly exceedingly vulnerable to having their front doors knocked down by ice Uh, as um, someone who was behind all this research said, you know, so the states told these people, even encouraged them to submit the information, to have their photos taken, and it is an insane breach of trust to then turn around and allow ICE to access that. Pennsylvania allows federal agencies such as the FBI to scan driver's license photos. This is a very big article. It goes on and on. But uh, guys, um, the direction that this uh, that we're heading in um, is invariably scary anywhere you look. I don't trust this government to use that information. I mean, for people who would always say, well, the government's not going to. I mean, they'll do it to get the bad guys. Well, um, I don't think we're in agreement now as to who the bad guys are. And the people who are running our government seem to incorrectly target people who they perceive as bad guys, who in fact are nothing but hard-working, undocumented, tax-paying, family, good community members. They just don't have a paper. I remember watching in Nazi-era films and how chilling it was to be stopped by a cop and be asked, uh, give me your papers, your papers. And it was so un-American, right? I was thinking, wow, I guess in Europe, I mean, you have to like carry 
proof of your citizenship and if you're if you're asked for your papers and you don't have them you can end up dead arrested imprisoned deported exiled who knows what give me your papers and i remember thinking how not here not in america we don't have papers oh yes we do and we have a caller. Caller, go ahead. Hello. 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 Hey, uh, this is Dave from Washington. Yeah. Um, one cool um, um, technology thing. A couple of years ago, three, four, five years ago, there were some kids, I think they were in from Illinois or Indiana or something. They decided to go on a little Bonnie and Clyde spree and uh, robbed a couple stores and actually killed you know, three or four people. And uh, started in somewhere, like I say, Illinois, whatever, went down to Tennessee, Kentucky, down to the south. And then on their way back up north, the second they crossed the line into Virginia, Virginia has these cameras set up on the highway. It takes every, a picture of everybody's license plate. And, of course, their license plate had been entered into a computer for an all-points bulletin. The second they drove into Virginia, bam, Dang. it caught them. It alerted a cop two miles up the road, and that's how they caught the kids. Nobody saw him come in. The camera saw him come in. Yeah. And the camera, and so, well, that was pretty neat. Uh, but the whole facial recognition thing, uh, yeah, the, 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 also, your license plate, that's where it's all at these days. Or they're using that. That's why you don't have to have um, registration stickers on your car anymore. Cops drive around, they got a little camera on the front of the car, and it reads every single license plate, every single license plate that it drives by, whether you're doing anything or not, sitting on the side of the road. And... It reads everyone, and every now and then it says, eh, 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 this car is unregistered. You know, it just processes everything in real time. And if you're driving a car that's not registered, the computer notifies the cop, and they pull you over. So, and that's that. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, technology, it goes, it can be used for good. It can be used for um, ill. But uh, you realize now that with the, all those ca those cameras everywhere... That means that every time you are in your car, someone can literally track your where movements. Where you are, where your car is. Yeah. Right, what you did that day. Uh, I mean, the, the you went from here to there to there. To here. I, and I know the old thing where people say, well, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't care. Yes, everybody should care about Big Brother being able yep. to to see everything you are doing. I don't, that is Another, like frightening. Yep. Another crazy example. Uh, this guy I know, he lost his passport. He reported it stolen. He got a new one, but like an idiot, he found the old one and flew to Scotland. Actually flew to Scotland to see Bob Dylan, as a matter of fact. And as soon as he got off the plane in Scotland, they pulled him aside. And because he's, Flying on what was reported as a, as a lost or stolen, stolen passport. passport, right? Yeah, what an idiot! He you know, shouldn't have used them. Anyway, so they bring him into this little room and they sit him down and they push a couple buttons and there on the TV, there's him at the baggage claim in Pittsburgh, getting on the plane. You're kidding? So, so they said, so "There you are, right there," and they showed him a video of him at the gate getting on the plane because the, they recorded his face and they knew who he was. How nuts is that? That's nuts. <laughs>
I don't know. Okay. I, none of us like being watched. I, I, who the hell wants to be watched all the time? And a I lot like of people who, I, who I, have I, been made, you know, people. Just let me say this: people who have been made to fear, uh, to feel like they're yeah. unsafe, will say, "But it, if it makes me safe, I'll be, you know, I'm willing." That's what well. happens. That's, that's that's how the it whole happened. Patriot Act thing. That's what that was all about. Yeah. Uh, I like to think that I'm protected by my insignificance, but yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. There. So. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Bye. 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 Oh, man. Um. So the. I had talked a while ago about this repulsive um, Epstein case. The guy who now is, um, the media now is all a Twitter about it. He will be uh, arraigned, I guess, um, or charged. I'm not sure exactly what's happening this morning, but the the Manhattan uh, district attorney, or no, federal prosecutors. This is the feds, right? Uh, the feds are expected to um, unseal charges um, on on Monday, and this is the Southern District of, <laughs> of New York. Man, God bless them. God bless them. Um, and uh, Epstein, it appears, is going to be accused of uh, running a sex trafficking uh, operation that. Uh, used uh, girls, underage uh, girls. And Epstein, as you know, is um, escaped justice uh, with the intervention of the man who is now our labor secretary, who ironically is charged with, of course, uh, making sure crimes like this don't happen. <laughs> he was the... Uh, he was the... Uh, U.S. attorney who got this guy off the hook uh, the last time he was accused and, in fact, uh, pled guilty to uh, exactly these kinds of charges. Uh, The understanding is, and that all happened at his uh, mansion in Palm Beach, Florida. Um, uh, More than 60 girls and women came forward to testify against him and and yet federal prosecutors um, all of a sudden dropped everything they negotiated a, a unbelievable plea deal with this guy with 60 victims and um, he got something like he was sentenced to a year in jail, but get this, he only had to sleep in the jail. He was allowed to leave every day, six days a week, to work. Um, this was such a sweetheart deal, it was unbelievable, and also... There was some strange deal where the unindicted um, 
conspirators or whatever they were called in that case were all given immunity. These people may well have been um, pretty high profile. His attorneys at the time were extremely high profile. You know who his lawyers were who managed to get this kind of a sweetheart deal for an abuser of 60-some children and women running a sex trafficking ring? Ken Starr. Does that name ring a bell? Bill Clinton's inquisitor, who was so appalled by Bill Clinton having sex, consensual sex, with a young woman. And now here he is, Ken Starr and Alan Dershowitz, getting this guy uh, this sweetheart deal. Um, Some of the people who partied with Epstein are, you know, well-known. Uh, and not surprising. Donald Trump, for one, and uh, Trump in an interview um, in 2002 called Epstein a terrific guy, a lot of fun to be with. It is even said, said Trump, that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side said Donald Trump. Bill Clinton. He flew on uh, Epstein's private jet many, many times. Prince Andrew of Britain also is a pal. So this guy with his high, uh, highly placed connections gets that kind of a deal. Well, it appears that they found new new facts, so they can't try him on the same thing again. They're going to get him for activities in New York City. And this time, I don't think there's going to be a sweetheart deal. There's something about knowing too much. (laughs) There's something. Oh, God. I have an uplifting story. It's in one of those um, obits that didn't run. um, And the New York Times is making up for it. And this is not a uh, a woman, but it is a uh, a Puerto Rican man named uh, Ralph, excuse me, Mexican-American named uh, Ralph Lazo. And this is a marvelous story. I had never heard it before. Um, After Pearl Harbor, when Americans, as we tend to do, overreacted, freaked out, and got racist immediately, what's our default position? Racist! And... Our ice of the day started banging on uh, the doors of law-abiding American citizens of Japanese descent and um, taking them away and putting them in uh, 
concentration camps, detention camps with their children. And there they stayed for the duration of the war. They lost their homes, their businesses. These were Americans. Just not the right race, Americans. Ralph Lazo, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, I'm sorry, was 17 years old. And he was in Los Angeles and he he saw that his friends i mean these he went to high school with these guys they were and and, and young girls they were his friends the guy, people he hung with and they were all getting rounded up and stuck on trains and sent to some camp called uh, Man, Manzanar Relocation Center, one of ten of these internment camps uh, authorized uh, by the President of the United States. Uh, so this 17-year-old kid tells his father, Hey, Dad, um, I'm going to camp. This is back in the day, I guess, when parents didn't pay much attention <laughs> to 17-year-old kids. <laughs> His father was a single father. The mother had died when uh, Ralph was young. And he told his dad, who was a house painter, I'm going uh, to camp, Dad. And his father said, great. And so he jumped on one of the trains, and he, you know, they didn't see quite a white person, so they figured, uh, he said, no, I'm, I'm Japanese. <laughs> and in he went to the camp with his friends, and there he stayed with them. There were 10,000 people in that camp. And uh, he was well remembered <laughs> because he was the only person who wasn't Japanese living in this camp with them. And um, one person who's still a survivor, she's now 93. She said, we accepted him and loved him. He was one of us. At Christmas, he, he got 30 friends to go caroling at the camp. He was just this life force, and he went with his friends. He got out because he got drafted. They drafted him, and then they went looking for him. Where is he? The father said, I don't know. He went to camp. He hasn't been back in three years. <laughs> so the government does locate him, and they say, hey, out of there. You're, you're going to war, buddy boy. And off he went to the South Pacific, and um, he was decorated in the war, received a bronze star for uh, bravery. 
uh, it changed his life. When he left, he had a different perception of the world, and his social consciousness had been <laughs> heightened, to say the least, and he was outraged over the indignities that he saw all of these good people suffer. And he lived the rest of his life as an activist, uh, seeking to improve the lives of underprivileged people. And he was one of the people that pushed for reparations for Japanese Americans. He got no reparations. Pushed for reparations uh, for the Japanese, which they did finally uh, get, those that were still alive. He died at the age of 67. It's 1992. And he was never comfortable with uh, when reporters came calling wanting to do a profile or a story. And he he said, uh, really, please, write about the injustice of what they did to these good people. Write about that, not about me. That is the real issue. That is Ralph Lazo, Lazo, L-A-Z-O, um, who went to camp. Wow. Nancy writes, hey, Lynn, what about all the information we need to supply to receive the real ID license? Yeah, it makes you think, doesn't it? They're going to want, I saw that. You got to do, uh, you know, birth certificates and marriage certificates. and I mean, you got to do all, it's just unbelievable. I mean, a real paper trail. People are going to have trouble getting these things because a lot of people just don't have access. They don't know how to get those documents. Yeah, think of that. No, the document, we're just, it's so when uh, the autocracy becomes embedded and America as we knew it is, is dead and buried. Um, yeah, boy, they're going to have everything they need. To control us. Real ID. Uh, Roger writes about me, my reaction to show me your papers. He says, a few years ago, my wife and I spent a weekend with a good friend who has since passed away. He was a World War II vet who fought in Germany. He almost froze to death, which led to his lifelong disdain of air conditioning. <laughs> he always said, I've been cold. I've been cold. I'll take heat. His name was Francis. He fought against the tyranny that could demand papers by the authorities. On our way home, after our visit, my wife and I stopped at a restaurant in Maryland, and I ordered a beer. Despite my graying beard and hair, the 20-something waiter asked for ID. Just having those lengthy 
conversations with my friend, I got a real tick up my behind about being asked for ID. I asked the waiter if he would ask my 93-year-old friend for his ID, too, and he said probably. I asked the waiter if he knew why we had to win World War II. By then, my wife, embarrassed, I would have been too. <laughs> I would have been too. I would have said, shut up. This is not the hill on which to die on this issue. The <laughs> By then, my wife was embarrassed, apologized to the waiter, and told me to shut up. Yeah, right, Roger. She was right, I was being an ass, and the waiter was probably doing his job. But damn it, don't people see how things can turn against us in our effort to be safe to the letter of the law, right? Yeah. A few other things I came across in my perusals of oh no I know what I wanted to say wait a minute so the 4th of July thing the speech no one's talking about I don't see much talk about the most frightening thing that happened on the 4th of July and it made my made my blood run cold couldn't have been more than four hours after the grand sodden event, Trump's salute to himself. And damn if he didn't tweet out a one-minute, beautifully produced, campaign commercial created from video taken at the event and stills taken at the event and a few others thrown in that probably weren't taken at the event but just you know I watch this thing with the sound off I can't although I later went back with the sound on and they take parts of his speech where he wasn't talking about George Washington, um, you know, uh, fighting in airports. The part of the speech, you know, that, and this great country, blah, blah, blah. And the video is of those jets flying over and of Donald Trump in front of the Lincoln Memorial and of Lincoln. Poor Lincoln got stuck in this too. There's Lincoln and there's Trump, and there's the Jets, and there are these veterans rising in cheers to him. And it is, well, my blood ran cold because I felt like I was watching something that, what's her name, Lenny Reifenstahl, the, yeah, Hitler's uh, propagandist, brilliant cinematographer would have done. The great leader, the military might. And at the end of it, this little logo of the White House comes up. Nothing comes up that says paid for by the Trump 2020 campaign. No. 
That was paid for by you. And it's a one-minute propaganda piece and campaign commercial. And that's why this SOB had to have this display. He already clearly had some agency, production company, with a million cameras at different locations. That was just to stage an event so he could get this friggin' propaganda piece. And nobody's talking about that. What the? I'm serious. Goebbels 101. And we paid. We've lost our ability to even like be outraged about what's happening because we're so overwhelmed. So instead, we go off having fun with the airport thing and the, you know, Cornwallis of Yorktown stuff. And, and it's funny, ha, ha, ha. Meanwhile, he wins again. He gets exactly what he wants. He had all those military guys on the stage with him. Melania even had did like a wet T-shirt thing, so they even had a little sex in it, uh, you know. Because you, could, I don't know if you saw those pictures, but you could, you could see the first ladies. Uh, I mean, yeah. Um, we cannot lose our capacity to see what is happening right under our noses. We cannot. Frightening. There. That's what I had wanted to. Those are caller. Oh, geez. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Caller. Sorry. How you doing today? I'm okay. Okay. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. I think you feel the same way. I, I'm tired of the entertainment culture. I'm tired of this entertainment. Now, that's nice that the women run the soccer and they're celebrating. That's fine. I don't care. I just wish this country would get back to what built the country, just like Joe Biden said the other day. The working, when the middle class does well, the country does well. we got to start rewarding work. People that actually do. It, it isn't entertainment that built this country. It isn't the big corporations, rich people that built it. It's working class people that built the country. Isn't the stock market? We got to get back to rewarding work and stop rewarding this entertainment. So, I get turned on. I don't even watch very little of it because these people are making now these this soccer team. No, they're not making a whole lot of money. But some of the other ones in just the the music business, the movie business. It doesn't matter what business. It's it's despicable the homes they live in, and you can't even afford to live in this country working 40 hours a week. And then they say $15 an hour. $15, don't even touch it. You'd be lucky to rent somewhere that in a slum area. I mean, that's how stupid they are. It's more like $20 an hour probably to make a living. So I don't know. The Democrats are off base on that part. But Joe Biden's right about it. you got to get the working class reward work again, or we're in trouble. The country's going to just be like it is right now. The rich get richer. I'm not arguing with you. Thank okay. you. 
Thank you for the call. Okay, thank you. All right, bye. Okay, goodbye. Uh, bye. We'll see you. Bye. And let's be clear that the entertainment culture is about distraction. It's the same as uh, bread and circuses of the Roman era. Keep them, keep them occupied, keep them happy, give them a show. Uh, that's what it's about. We have another call. Caller, go ahead, please. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I don't know. I just realized, I don't know if you mentioned it, but that your volume seems like it's finally fixed. My volume uh, is what? I just realized that your volume was always terrible. I had to turn up, like, I had to turn you all the way up in the past. As high as I could, and I still couldn't hear you, but it's, now it's normal. Good. That's not what I called about. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you can hear me, but the, so as you were talking about being tracked, and uh, so something strange happened to me, but it was being tracked by, I guess, by Facebook. Like, I had taken a picture in eastern Pennsylvania of a business um, that had to do with the name of the business is why I took it, and then I got a new phone, so I downloaded all my pictures onto my laptop, and within, like, the same day, I realized I had not done anything with that picture. Uh, uh, it's kind of irrelevant, but that that day that I had downloaded the photos onto my laptop, ads for that business started mysteriously showing up <laughs> yeah. on Facebook. <laughs> oh yeah, which seemed weird. Which I'm assuming is because I have the GPS thing that you know to work with up beyond the pictures. They know really everything. Know Let's just say you, everything on that, yeah, everything on your phone can be accessed by advertising, right, because that's what Facebook yeah. and and all those guys yeah, are yeah, selling, yeah. right? Access to you to see yeah, what... Yeah, most of it always made sense until that, like, I understood if I was, like, looking, at, you know, shopping for something online and then, you know, those ads always show up. That's not surprising. Because this was for an ad for a business on the other side of the state that I immediately recognized because I had taken a picture of it because of its name. So that was just you really know the bizarro. the minute um, a, a couple might find that they're expecting a, a, a baby, uh, their their phones and their you know their feeds become saturated with all kinds of stuff for new parents. Yeah, that's terrifying too. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, the weird. So some of the stuff, though, the, the kind of the, the part I try to amuse myself after I'm terrified is that these somebody's paying for these ads, and like they're very rarely or anything either it's something I already bought, or it's for some a business on the other side of the state that I'm never going to go to. So like somebody's wasting money on a lot. Well, of ads. I you know, but that's what you used to think. That's what I used to think about telemarketers. I'd say, who the hell ever buy? Why do they do this? Who would ever buy anything? And obviously, enough people do that. This seemingly this you know casting this huge wide net uh, yeah, works. Enough people well, they they wouldn't be doing it if it doesn't work. It works. I guess they just need you to yeah. click once every uh, six months. And so your your example of the people that are going to have babies, like they they just never seem to bet, you know at least there they're predicting that somebody's going to want these things. It's almost never that the ads that I see are something that I don't already know about. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe I'm just an old fuddy duddy. I don't know. <laughs> they got their algorithms. So, they they who yeah, the hell they, knows. Yeah. Who the hell They've knows? They got me well tracked. <laughs> yeah, you are being tracked. All right, thanks. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Right, bye. 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 Um, 
just have to note that uh, David Shribman, the, the former uh, executive editor of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, um, I picked up two, I, I, I read him twice this, this weekend, once in the Wall Street Journal and once in the New York Times. <laughs> He's working. He's working freelance uh, now. Um, I guess in the New York Times he wrote some op-ed about tuning out. I didn't read it. I never read him when he was uh, writing uh, as the editor here. Um, and then he did a book review for the Wall Street Journal about baseball parks, a book about baseball parks. It was written, actually, by a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, <clears throat> former architecture uh, critic of the New York Times. Uh, I think his name is Peter Goldberger. Is it? Paul. Paul Goldberger. And I just want to I just want to say um, that he he mentioned something in here about uh, about Forbes Field and um, that I thought some of you might get a kick out of. Um, one of the things that the Goldberger writes about in this book is that Forbes Field was one of a kind in that. It was a ballpark built in the heart of what was the cultural center of the city. So that within a baseball, <laughs> a good hit of a baseball, you had the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, the Carnegie Museum of Art, Carnegie Mellon, you had the University of Pittsburgh, you had um, you had all of these uh, cultural places. And he says there's no other no other park like that. And that's something that I, I don't think I've never heard any Pittsburgher you know, opine about how, do you realize how unusual it was to have built the park there? Um, squarely, as it is written, in the middle of an enclave dedicated to the soaring arts, to literary contemplation and engineering virtuosity, no other city could claim a Major League Baseball park as a part of its cultural mix, either in 1909 or any time afterward. And then Shribman also says, and one might add that no other city could conceivably embed the last home plate of that old park in the floor of an academic building. <laughs> Because if you drop by Pazvar Hall on the University uh, of Pittsburgh campus, you will see Forbes Field's home plate inside that building now, preserved. Just uh, wanted to point that out, whatever. And uh, bzz, bzz, bzz. also the Times asked people who are middle class 
to write to them about what it's like for them to live on middle class incomes and to tell them about their lives and they took the things that came in and, and focused on 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 just some um, and as one one of the women who responded said there is an extraordinary burden on my generation to fund our own retirement and also afford college costs for our children and there is that there is that problem that middle-class Americans who before um, would have been able to afford, would have had the security of a, of a pension. Um, all of that's gone now. And, and some of these middle-class Americans, are, they're making six figures. They're making 120000 180000 and they're struggling. Listen to this guy from uh, Massachusetts. I'm in high tech, he said, but I'm riding a Bronco. I am a master of my trade now, but who am I kidding? Tech is a youth-oriented culture. Some bean counter is going to catch up to me sooner or later. And he said, I, I can see that there are two kinds of young people in this country now. There are people who have student debt and there are people who don't. He has one daughter, 16-year-old daughter. He said, I am hell-bent that my daughter will not start out with a millstone around her neck. We might be mistakenly sacrificing our retirement to accomplish that, but it's a bet we're making. And then he goes on to say, we just we need national health care and, and some sort of universal basic income. If the only viable work is short-term contracts, that's how people live now, gig economies, going from job to job, then we need the social infrastructure to make that a viable way to live. The baseline should not be homelessness. Every dollar that I have earned is through capitalism, but there needs to be something more to make this work. That's a guy who's making one hundred twenty to two hundred thousand. Listen to this. This is a woman, Iran Sanchez. She went from making 60000 a year to 52000 and that difference of 8000 meant she couldn't stay in the house that she was living in. And she was thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to get like a boarder in or a roommate or something. And she mentioned this to her ex-husband. And he said, come and live here with me and my wife and our two boys. She moves in with her ex-husband, his wife, their two boys, and the daughter, that older daughter that she had with him. 
And she said, it made sense. I'd be able to be with my daughter much more, and this gave me a chance to catch up on all the debt. We have now a combined family, a blended family. It's a village. We take care of each other. And she feels middle class. She feels, I've been able to do a lot of things my parents couldn't. I've been able to travel sometimes, take a vacation. My daughter will never know about having to work a job to contribute so your parents could pay the utility bills or eating bean tacos for the entire week. My daughter now, she has no worry in the world. Now, what are the two things we're seeing here? We're seeing two people sacrificing, going to, I mean, people, here's another one. Oh, I'm sorry, we're over. Let me just do this quick one. Victor Gomez, Auburn, Georgia. He runs his own nonprofit housing development agency. He makes $75,000 a year. Uh, he lives with his elderly mother and cares for her. And he has two grown sons, both with autism, that he has to care for as well. People, and he makes 75000 And I mean, I think a lot of people think, jeez, give me seventy-five. But people's lives are complicated. And the thing that comes into all of these stories is children, mothers, families, taking care of each other, but having to really struggle to do so because this damn country will not do what any other civilized wealthy nation does, which is provide a baseline for people so that families can have a measure of security, be it child care, education, or health care. We are a despicable outlier in that regard. And it's taken us down. I'm done. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers. <laughs>